Hi, my name is Martha. The Old Testament reading is found in Jeremiah 53 through 7. For out of the north a nation has come up against her, which shall make her land a desolation, and none shall dwell in it. Both man and beast shall flee away. In those days and in that time, declares the Lord, the people of Israel and the people of Judah shall come together, weeping as they come, and they shall seek the Lord their God. They shall ask the way to Zion, with faces turned toward it, saying, Come, let us join ourselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will never be forgotten. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to hill they have gone. They have forgotten their fold. All who have found them have devoured them, and their enemies have said, We are not guilty, for they have sinned against the Lord. Their habitation of righteousness, the Lord, the hope of their fathers. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Maggie, and the New Testament reading is found in Ephesians 1, 3 to 10. Bless God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in Christ in every spiritual blessing that comes from heaven. God has chosen us in Christ to be holy and blameless in God's presence before the creation of the world. God has destined us to be his adopted children through Jesus Christ because of his love. This was according to his goodwill and plan, and to honor his glorious grace that he has freely given through the Son whom he loves. We have been ransomed through his Son's blood, and we have forgiveness for our failures based on his overflowing grace, which he has poured over us with the wisdom and understanding. God revealed his hidden design to us, which is, in, which is according to his goodwill and the plan that he intended to accomplish through the Son. This is what God planned for the climax of all times, to bring all things together in Christ, the things on heaven, along with the things on earth. The word of the Lord. Hello, New Life. Uh, my name is Sam, and thank you for standing for the gospel reading. Today's reading is found in Mark 6, verses 30 through 34. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him everything they had done and taught. Many people were coming and going, so there was no time to eat. He then said to the apostles, Come by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. They departed in a boat by themselves for a deserted place. Many people saw them leaving and recognized them, so they ran ahead from all the cities and arrived before them. When Jesus arrived and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to our Lord Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, New Life Downtown. Great to see all of you this morning. I'm just coming up here to introduce our very special uh, speaker this morning, a dear friend of mine. But I wanted to say just a quick word. We are beginning a series today. This will go for about eight weeks during our summer called Whole Life. And we're going to talk about life with God, uh, life with others, singleness, friendships, 
uh, marriage. We're going to talk about life at work, life at rest. Uh, and it's just a, a wonderful way to have the conversation about what it means to offer God our whole lives. Pastor Jason and the team have put together some resources. He'll tell you about that at the end of the service. Now, to kick us off this morning is our dear friend, Pete Gregg. Now, if you've been around, yeah, if you've been around New Life Downtown a couple of years, you already know. But let me just say a few things about Pete. Um, first of all, he's British. Uh, you'll hear that right away. Secondly, he's brilliant. You'll also hear that right away. He's funny. He's kind. But, but let me tell you a bit about what the Lord has used him to do. He has, he's the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement, which began about 20 years ago, and it has literally mobilized prayer all around the world. Massive gatherings, small prayer rooms, over half the countries of the earth, uh, around, the, around the world, have a 24-7 house of prayer as part of this movement. It's a stunning, stunning thing. Uh, in addition to that, Pete finds himself as kind of the catalyst for some major gatherings in the UK. Uh, he just finished the summer coming off of two really massive festivals is the wrong word because it was more like outdoor revivals, you know, big, day, big church day out, uh, wildfires, and Pete's at the forefront of all of this. They're seeing prayer and worship and miracles. And, uh, and, and then, most recently, they just finished 10 days from Ascension Day to Pentecost, 10 days of prayer that actually now, it reached 116 countries, 64 different denominations. Uh, the Pope was involved in it. The Archbishop of Canterbury and the Church of England was involved. I mean, this is crossing all of the so-called barriers that we have within Christendom and within the kingdom. And, and Pete's somehow in the middle of it like this beautiful, beautiful uh, person that he is. And so it's an incredible thing, and we get to hear from him this morning. And in addition to all of that, let me just say another thing. He is the pastor of a wonderful church in Guilford, England called Emmaus Road. Uh, my wife Holly and I and our kids were there last summer. I had the privilege of speaking there and have been there a couple times. It's an amazing church. So Pete's not a fly-by-night, get on an airplane, go do a thing, and then get out. He's a pastor. He loves people, and he loves Jesus. And personally, my whole life uh, in the last several years has been impacted deeply and profoundly because of his friendship and because of his life. So it's my joy to welcome Pete Gregg. Oh, it's so nice to be with you again. Just turn to the person next to you in your best British accent and say, hello. Go. Yeah, very good, yes. Um, it is just an absolute joy uh, to be back with you. Thank you for that very, very kind introduction, uh, Glenn. Uh, I love coming through New Life Church around this time every single year because it always feels like I'm at home. I feel like I'm with family and friends. Uh, Glenn and Holly are just legends, amazing people. I think what you guys are building together here downtown is stunning. Um, here you are in the coolest part of one of the best cities of the most magnificent state in America. Congratulations on that. And, but the trouble is you didn't get the memo like secular humanism is meant to be winning, the church is meant to be declining. Instead, you're seeing people come to know Jesus. You're making the gospel relevant. You're loving each other. You're not dividing. Uh, you're making a difference in the city. So good job. Well done. Thank you, Jesus. But also uh, well done to uh, Glenn and Holly. It's, it's a joy to be, uh, to be with you. And it's weird. I always seem to come through just before Independence Day, <laughs> which is interesting, right? Like I was talking to a woman in, in the hotel a couple of days ago, 
And uh, she was telling me all her exciting plans for celebrating Independence Day. And then she turned to me and she said, so you guys in England, do you, do, do you celebrate Independence Day? <laughs> I thought she was kidding. And I realized she wasn't. So I said, ma'am, Honestly, I'm here to remind you, you of the oppressive political regime, the bad dentistry and the peculiar accent from which you have been set free and are now independent. So I, I, I come to you just to kind of like bring a bit of sparkle to your July 4 celebrations each year. It's like Santa Claus. Um, but uh, no, it, it's, it's, it's a joy to, to, to be amongst you. And uh, by the way, I'm so excited about Pastor Glenn's new book. Uh, he hasn't paid me to say this, but it's coming out uh, in six weeks' time, Blessed, Broken, Given. And, um, you know, I was in the Commons last night with some of the Alpha leaders. And uh, I, I noticed it says on the wall in there, Blessed, Broken, Given. And I'm like, dude, your marketing is off the charts. Like... <laughs> Six weeks before a book comes out, you have graffitied your own book title on the wall. I'd like to do that, but they won't let me. Because my last book was called Dirty Glory. <laughs> and he said, no, no, you've got it the wrong way around. We've had Blessed Broken uh, given on the wall of the Commons from the start. And the book is really me... Uh, exploring that theme, understanding it, putting it together as a contribution to the wider body. And so I want to say this book isn't just, oh, our pastor wrote a book. It's your story. It's your voice. It's your journey. It's the heart of your community. And the reason I say that to you is that's what you need to give people for Christmas this year. So um, <laughs> it's an honor to be starting this new series with you today, uh, celebrating whole life. How do we bring glory to God in the whole of our lives in an integrated uh, way? And so uh, we're going to be looking, or you're going to be looking at lots of different themes, uh, scripture, relationships, marriage, singleness, friendship, uh, workplace. Uh, I learned in the last service you say leisure, not leisure. Is that right? Listen, it's leisure. We invented this language. It's leisure. Like, I'm just saying. Yeah, you kind of took it around the world. But anyway, apart from that. And uh, so we're, we're going to look at how do we, the whole of our lives, bring glory uh, to God. And today we're going to look uh, at the bedrock of that, the starting point of that, which is, is prayer, is your intimate relationship with God. You're talking and walking with God through life. You're celebrating His presence and then carrying of His presence uh, into the world. And, you know, in today's uh, gospel reading from Mark chapter uh, 6, we heard this beautiful invitation of Jesus, which I believe echoes down the millennia and speaks to our own hearts today. Jesus says to his strung out, like freaking out disciples, he says, come by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. In another translation, he says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. That's why Christians often talk about having a quiet time each day, a time of personal retreat with Jesus. 
this beautiful Saviour who looks you in the eyes, sees you all stressed out and says, hey, come with me and get some rest. Find some peace. The context of this invitation is significant, I believe, for all of us. Because if you look at the pace of Mark chapter 6, it is exhausting. First of all, verses 1 to 6, Jesus has been rejected in his hometown. So you, know, you can imagine what that feels like. Everything that's familiar. Every, you know, everyone wants to secretly impress your parents. You've been rejected in your hometown. So he's processing that uh, sense of a rejection and abandonment. And then the news comes through that uh, his cousin, the man who's baptized him, his ally, his co-conspirator, John the Baptist, has been killed by King Herod. So Jesus is trying to process massive grief. Uh, the fear of that, the questions around that. What do I do now? Are we in danger? What does a good leader do for his disciples? And, and he's processing uh, bereavement, rejection. And in the midst of all of this, he sent out his disciples on a missions trip. And they've had an amazing time. Uh, they, they've, they've seen, we, we read they've seen many healed, many set free. So Jesus is here trying to process grief, trying to process rejection. And then his disciples come back and they're like, whoa, it was amazing. They're just full of all the stories of what God has done. Just after this, they feed the 5,000. In the middle of it, we're told they are so busy, they haven't even had time to eat. These are people who are emotionally, physically, psychologically exhausted and stressed with the challenges and the blessings of life coming all at once. And it's into that context that Jesus comes and says, let's get out of here. Come with me. Let's find a quiet place and get some rest. Some of us think like, I'll sort my prayer life when like, life gets easy, you know, and I'm in that phase of life where I'm wearing elasticated waist, trousers, pants, and I'm, and I'm listening to smooth jazz, you know, and talking to squirrels, and me and Jesus are going to be like that, but right now, you don't know what my husband's like, you don't know what my boss is like, you don't know how like upset I am about what my brother just did. You know, you've got all this stuff. And it's in that context that Jesus comes to you and goes, let's get out of here. Let's get some space. Come and be on retreat uh, with me. And um, it's a beautiful invitation. Near the start of the 24-7 prayer movement, we, we, it was really pretty wild. I mean, really very wild. It was completely out of control. And everything was spreading at this crazy pace. We were at some kind of inflection point. You know, nations we'd never heard of were suddenly getting on board. Uh, miracles were happening all the time. Uh, actually still are. And I think we felt like we'd found this big red switch called revival. If everyone would just pray like this, they're going to see what we're seeing. And, uh, and that was our grid on prayer. And God was about to uh, take us on a journey. We still, by the way, believe that stuff. But it's just got, let's say, a little more nuanced and a little deeper. And one of the people who helped us with our thinking in the early days was a, a wonderful Catholic priest, uh, a member of a religious order called the Little Brothers of Jesus, who are committed to imitating the parts of Christ's life when he was anonymous. That's interesting right there. 
And uh, this man's name uh, was Brennan Manning. Uh, Brennan Manning wrote a best-selling book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. Some of you will have come across him. His life message is all about grace. Uh, he modeled it all the time. He was this prayerful, holy, passionate guy who, you know, was a chain smoker and everything else. And so he was, he was kind of this beautiful paradox. And um, I, I had a pizza with Brennan Manning. Um, and, he, you know, he's a New York guy. He's kind of abrasive at times. And he, he said, so you guys, you're praying night and day. Like 24 7, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I said, Yes, we are. And he said, And that's happening all around the world. Yes, that's right. So you, you're praying a lot. I said, Yes, we are, Brennan. And he said, And is it enough? And I kind of went, Well, kind of. We could still do with more people doing it. He's like, So it's not enough. I said, Well, I'm trying to eat a pizza here. And and then he said, so you feel guilty all the time? I said, dude, it's a Hawaiian pizza, you know. <laughs> What's your point? He said to me, my point is this. He said, well, let me ask you a question first. When you watch the news on TV, you see all the problems in the world. You think you ought to pray about those, right? I said, yes, we do. He said, so what do you do? You write them down and you take them into your quiet time? You know, your hour with God or whatever it is where you pray and you read the Bible and do all that stuff? I said, well, I try to, Brennan. And he said, uh, okay, and do you always manage to like pray about everything you need to pray about? I said, if I'm honest, no, I don't, Brennan. He said, you really do feel guilty all the time, don't you? I said, you're being rude to me, Brennan. He said, let me explain how this works in the contemplative tradition. He said, in the contemplative tradition, we view prayer exactly differently to you guys. You think that the hour you spend in a prayer room, the 10 minutes you spend with your Bible open or chatting to God in the car, that's your time with God for the day. And then the other 23 hours of the day are kind of when you get on with just doing life. And you hope you've kind of got enough rocket fuel from your prayer time to kind of carry you through, right? But he said, in the contemplative tradition, we flip that. And we'd say the hour you spend in the prayer room is the one hour in the day when you don't pray. That is the hour in which you recenter on the presence of Jesus. Come away with me. Get some rest. Let's find a quiet place. You recenter on Jesus so that you can pray in real time for the other 23 hours of the day. You can carry his presence because you have recentered on his presence for the rest of the day. And now I was really more interested in what he was saying than my pizza. Because I felt like this is what the real 24-7 prayer room is. It's you and me being a house of prayer. Being a carrier of the presence of God. Being a place in which the Gentiles can come and meet with the living God. And the way you do that is you discipline yourself to regular times of encounter with God on retreat with him each day. How do we live our whole lives to the glory of God? By centering everything we are in his presence, by practicing his presence continually. How do you do that? Because it kind of sounds ethereal. Because the world is exhausting, life is painful. You do it by setting apart regular time in a disciplined way to retreat to a quiet place with Jesus in response to his invitation in the midst of the stress and challenge of life. 
And so what I want to do is just offer you a really, really simple, super practical tool that you can take and use in your times with God during this vacation season. And, you know, we could go all sorts of places. We're thinking together about prayer. We could talk about fasting and uh, spiritual warfare. We could talk about uh, the theology of prayer. Uh, What I want to do is just do something like Sunday School Simple with you today because I think this will help you tomorrow as you seek to take, maybe it's not an hour, maybe it's just five minutes. Maybe that's the next step for you with God. How do you, what, you know, do you ever think, well, I, I find it hard to find the space. And when I do find the space, I don't know what to say. How do I fill that time? Well, I just want to give you this simple tool. And it is a four-step process. And to make it easy for you to remember, it's P-R-A-Y. Forgive me, I hate acronyms too. They remind me of textbooks at school or whatever. But the thing is, this will get in your head and you'll remember it. P-R-A-Y. And that stands for pause, rejoice, ask, and then yield. Pause, rejoice, ask, yield. And if you're teaching this to a, a child, just swap that tricky word yield for yes. Pause, rejoice, it works just as well. I had a mom came to me said, hey, I'm doing your P-R-A-Y thing with my six-year-old. And last night, we, 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 we had the best time of prayer we have ever had together. And, and he, she said, we did the pause bit, just like we, we, well, I just got him to lie still. That's not easy. And to breathe slowly. And it wasn't very long, but it was, it was a breakthrough. And then we said, thank you to God for some stuff. We rejoiced. And then we asked God for the stuff we need God to do for us. And then we just said, what might Jesus be asking us to do or to say for him tomorrow? And then we said yes to that. Simple, pause, rejoice, ask, yield. And you can do this in five minutes or you can do it over like a whole, say, weekend retreat. So let's just think about these four steps. First of all, pause. This, for many people, is the most radical part of this process because we tend to rush into our prayer list because we've got stuff, right, all the time we need God to do for us. But I want to encourage you, try and get into the discipline of just pausing and becoming aware of the presence of God at the start of your prayer time. Sit still. Psalm 46, be still. And know that I am God. To start in prayer, we must stop. We must put down our shopping lists of requests and learn to wait. Become fully present in place and time so that our scattered senses can recenter themselves on Christ's eternal presence. Be still. Stillness and silence prepare our minds and prime our hearts to pray from a place of greater peace and greater faith. I have a friend called Brian who grew up in Northern Ireland. Many of you will know that um, Northern Ireland was bitterly divided for many, many years around sectarian, really tribal violence that nominally was Catholic versus Protestant, and people would be killing one another. 
uh, is very serious. In its peak, it was called The Troubles. That's how they called it. So Brian grew up in the midst of The Troubles in Northern Ireland. Now, it's got a lot better in recent years because there was a thing wonderfully called the Good Friday Agreement that has, has started to bring a great deal of peace and reconciliation to Northern Ireland. And things are changing. But my friend Brian was staying with a family in Belfast, that's the capital of Northern Ireland, uh, one day, and they had photographs and shopping lists and stuff all over their refrigerator. And he came in, and this was a family that would historically have seen themselves as Protestant rather than Catholic. And he, he came in for breakfast one day, and he saw this photograph on the, 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 the fridge, and it was of the Pope. And so he said to his host, that's amazing that you've got that picture on your, on your refrigerator. And she said, well, what's amazing about it? He said, well, I just find it extraordinary. There's a time that you wouldn't have had that photograph on your refrigerator. She said, I don't understand what you're talking about. He said, the picture of the Pope on your refrigerator. She said, Brian, that's not the Pope. That's my mother. <laughs> the idiot. Here's the point. Sometimes it's not great to rush straight into conversation if you haven't paused <laughs> to focus correctly. One Augustinian monk describes that inner chaos that goes on in our heads all the time like a wild cocktail party of which we find ourselves the embarrassed host. <laughs> Isn't that good? So how do we do this? How do we pause at the start of a prayer time? Here's how I do it. I'll just sit very quietly, or if I'm walking, I'll walk slow. And I will first of all, very deliberately and intentionally relax my body. Uh, I'll often carry stress in different parts of my body. If I'm carrying stress somewhere, I just focus on that and deliberately relax that. Next, I'll begin to breathe slowly and deeply. It's amazing how much of our lives we go through just shallow breathing. Some Christians say to me, this sounds a bit Eastern and New Age. And I'm like, dude, if you need a Bible verse for breathing well, you're in deep trouble. Like, it's just a good idea to like oxygenate your brain. In fact, maybe that's the problem with those kind of Christians. And, um, uh, you know, God designed you. And, you know, when you're stressed, you do shallow breathe. And then that creates an increased sense of stress. So just breathe well, relax. I had a businessman in our, our church, a very senior business guy, who was getting adrenal failure. You know, he, he carries unbelievable responsibility. And, and he went to his doctor, and his doctor said, you've got to practice mindfulness. And he was getting all these books, and the books were basically uh, just Buddhism light filtered through pop psychology. Sort of okay, but not massively helpful. And I realized as his pastor, I hadn't taught him that there's a 3,000-year-old tradition in the Bible, in the Judeo-Christian tradition, that teaches us how to be present, how to pause, how to be still, how to come away with Jesus to a peaceful place. So we've got to talk about this stuff and not worry about the people who haven't breathed properly for 20 years. And, and then as I'm breathing properly, I'll start to use a prayer phrase. A, a, maybe just a few words, and I'll repeat them again and again, often in time with my breathing. 
It might be just, thank you, Jesus. Uh, it might be, there's a thing called the Jesus prayer. Uh, um, uh, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It might be the Franciscan uh, prayer, which is, my God and my all. My God and my all. It might be praying in tongues. Precognitive language, you know, um, a lot of, to be a charismatic really is to be a contemplative because the two, two are profoundly connected. Many people who are very into contemplative prayer, it's because they're seeking a charismatic experience and no one's just prayed for them to receive tongues yet. And many charismatics are on their own journey into contemplative prayer because the two are linked. So I'll be relaxed, I'll be breathing in a healthy way, I'll be praying my little prayer and I'm just in, uh, my world is so busy and so scattered and so fractured and I'm like strung out on dopamine hits and Netflix and good news and bad news and have you noticed in the movies there's always this beautiful clean narrative arc we are in a happy time we're in a dark time you know change of soundtrack we are now in a happy time it's like life's not like that you don't have a narrative arc you've just got to scribble you know you just got to storm the good stuff, the bad stuff. It all comes at the same time. And into the storm, Jesus says, peace, come away with me to a quiet place. Get some rest. How are you going to bring peace to your workplace or your neighbors if you yourself are not regularly recentering and becoming peaceful? And so I practice pausing. Then, next, rejoice. Again, just before you rush in with your lists of requests, rejoice. Spend a little bit of time just giving thanks to God, worshipping Him. Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Your life may not have a lot you can rejoice in, but you can rejoice in the Lord. As Pastor Glenn reminded us last week in his brilliant teaching on the story of the prodigal son. God is this absolute, consistent, faithful, loving, gracious, good father. That is our God. If your life isn't like that, then don't obsess with, you know, the problems. Obsess with the solution, right? Focus on his goodness. Thank him. Rejoice in him. Give thanks. And you know, I, I have to travel a fair bit. And sometimes when our, our two sons were quite little, I would get home from maybe two weeks away. I'd come in the front door. I'd put down my suitcase. I'd take off my coat. And the boys would be upstairs in the house. And they could hear that I'd just come into the house. And they would just call out immediately. I'm not kidding. I've been away for two weeks. And their opening words would be, Dad, what's for dinner? Or, Dad, my brother's not sharing. Tell him to share with me. And I would just laugh at the bottom of the stairs and go, well, it's lovely to be home. <laughs> and then they would kind of sheepishly come downstairs and look at me and give me a hug and say, hi, Dad. What's for dinner? <laughs> it's what you and I are like with the Father all the time, right? We rush in his presence. What's for dinner? Tell her to share. And he's like, hey, it's nice to be with you. And we go, oh, yeah, sorry. And we come down, give him a hug, look at him. Hi, Dad. What's for dinner? <laughs> right? 
Spend a little time rejoicing, counting your blessings. This is super simple. Read a psalm, you know. Get hold of one of these 14er book, booklets at the end uh, and use it through this summer season. Pray a prayer from there. They're going to be available at the back at the end. Listen to a worship track. Build a worship playlist, you know, good stuff, stuff that you like. Uh, but just spend a bit of time rejoicing. And then next... Spend some time asking. This is the bit we all know how to do, right? We've all got the shopping list of needs. And Jesus loves us to ask him. He says, ask anything in my name, I will do it for you. That's John 14, verse 14. Jesus, people often say to me, why? In fact, someone said it to me yesterday. Why do we actually need to ask God stuff? If God's all loving, all powerful, knows what we need, then surely he'll just do it anyway. Why do we have to ask him stuff? And I think there's three reasons. The first is that asking is relational in a way that mere wishing and wanting isn't. Right? So um, Jesus all the time is personal. He's wanting to build relationship. He finds it kind of easy to do miracles because he's God. It's one of the advantages. But, but it's up to us whether we want relationships. So all the time, he's like... Can we get to know each other? So when the woman who's been tragically bleeding for many years touches the hem of his garment in the, in, in the crowd, and oh, he feels the power go out of him. <laughs> he turns around and he goes, who was that? Because he wants to not just do the miracle for her. She's got the miracle. She got healed at that moment. He wants to give her a face and a name. And then straight after that, he goes and he raises a 12-year-old girl from the dead. And what are his first words? I'm going to preach you a sermon about rising from the dead. This is kind of an important theme. You're going to find out. You read the end of the story. No, his first words are, she's going to be hungry. Give her something to eat. He's all the time personal and relational. He's not an algorithm in Silicon Valley. He's not some automaton. You're not DNA programmed, never with a free choice. Ask because he wants relationship. Secondly, ask because when you ask, you are vulnerable. You acknowledge I have a need and you're able to provide it. So to ask is to be vulnerable and to be vulnerable is to trust and trust is kind of faith. And thirdly, you have to ask because asking is intentional and not passive. When Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus, makes it through the crowd to Jesus, he gets to Jesus. And Jesus looks at him. And Bartimaeus wants to look back at Jesus, but he can't really yet. And Jesus says, so what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus goes, duh! Everybody knows. Can't you see? <laughs> it's beyond irony. You can't make this stuff up. And Jesus goes, oh, you want to be healed? And he heals him. Ask God. It's intentional. And so I'm not going to tell you how to do that. You can make lists of stuff. And sometimes you're going to have to keep asking. And then finally, yield. Spend a bit of time in your prayer time whether it's five minutes or an hour or a whole retreat day or whatever it is, just yielding, saying, you are Lord. You're my leader. You're in charge around here. I'm not. Fill me again with your Holy Spirit. Speak to me. What are you saying to me? I'll do it. Whatever you say, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, you're Lord. Romans 12, offer yourself as a living sacrifice 
pleasing and acceptable to God. These moments of surrender are important in our prayer times because those are really the moment when, as Brennan Manning says, we recenter on Jesus. We're filled again with his spirit. We become available to him with the other 23 hours and 55 minutes of our day. This is contemplative prayer. So I want to finish by reading you one exquisite story that was told me by Brennan Manning, and then he wrote it in a book, about someone who encapsulates this whole life to the glory of God through the simple rhythms and simple disciplines of prayer and obedience over many years. He himself, now listen to this, became the prayer. The man I'm about to read you about, he became the prayer. He didn't just say his prayers. He became a prayer. He didn't just focus on the presence of God. He became a carrier of the presence of God. And this man's name was Dominique Voyome. And he lived in a little monastic community in Saint-Rémy, France. And then at the age of 54, he discovered that he was dying of inoperable uh, cancer. And, he, and so uh, he went to uh, the rest of the brothers in this house and he said to them, I'm dying and I want you to release me to go and move to Paris. I want to die in Paris. So they released him. And uh, this man, Dominique Voyome, got a job as a night watchman in, um, at a factory in Paris. And he moved into a slum, uh, just a really deprived area of Paris. And he worked the night shifts, knowing he was dying, but he didn't tell anyone. And then he would come back at uh, in the morning after his night shift, and he would sit in the park, which Brandon said was just full of like dirty old men and drunks and you know uh, people on the streets. And he would feed the pigeons, and he would just be kind to people. He never Bible bashed them or told them much about his faith, but this is how. Um, Brennan describes it. Dominique never criticized, scolded, or reprimanded anybody. He laughed. He told stories. He shared his candy. He accepted them just as they were. And from living for, for so long out of the inner sanctuary, Dominique Voyome gave off a peace, a serene sense of self-possession, and a hospitality of heart that caused cynical young men and defeated old men to gravitate towards him like bacon towards eggs. His simple witness lay in accepting others as they were without questions and allowing them to make themselves at home in his heart. Dominique was the most non-judgmental person that I have ever known. He loved with the heart of Jesus Christ. One day, when the ragtag group of rejects asked him to talk about himself, Dominique gave them a thumbnail description of his life. And then he told them with quiet conviction that God loved them tenderly and stubbornly. That Jesus had come for rejects and outcasts just like themselves. His witness was credible because the word was enfleshed on his bones. Later, one old-timer said, the dirty jokes, the vulgar language, the leering at girls just stopped. One morning, Dominique, uh, Dominique failed to appear on his park bench. The men grew concerned, and a few hours later, he was found dead on the floor of his cold water flat. He died 
in the obscurity of a Parisian slum. Dominique Voyome never tried to impress anybody. He never wondered if his life was useful or if his witness was meaningful. He never felt that he had to do something great for God. He did keep a journal, and it was found shortly after his death in the drawer of the nightstand by his bed. His last entry is one of the most astonishing things that I have ever read. This is what Dominique Voyome wrote just hours before he died in that anonymous place. All that is not the love of God has no meaning for me. I can truthfully say that I have no interest in anything but the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. If God wants it to, my life will be useful through my word and witness. And if he wants it to, my life will bear fruit through my prayers and sacrifices. But the usefulness of my life is his concern, not mine. And it would be indecent of me to worry about that. In Dominique Voyome, I saw, says Brennan Manning, the reality of a life lived entirely for God and for others. After an all-night prayer vigil by his friends, he was buried in an unadorned pine box in the backyard of the Little Brothers of Jesus House in Saint-Rémy. A simple wooden cross over his grave with the inscription, Dominique Voyome, a witness to Jesus Christ. More than 7,000 people gathered from all over Europe to attend his funeral. Dominique Voyome started out saying prayers, but he died as a man who had become the prayer. You want to talk about an integrated life. That isn't a roadmap to global domination and great success, it is a roadmap to the way of Jesus. Where we can, with all of our being, lay down everything that we are. And so focus on his love and his glory. That our faces begin to reflect the story to a world that has no idea about the glory and the love, the presence of God. As you in this busy world regularly retreat with Jesus for five minutes for an hour, whatever it is, your neural pathways will get rewired. Your muscle memory will build up. You will experience greater peace and you will become a carrier of the presence of God in a fragmented, fractured and frightened world. And so we give ourselves to prayer and we are going to celebrate that now in the breaking of bread together. Man, thank you, Pete. Beautiful.